Russia if they you know get out of uh, Crimea or something like that. So there's a that domestic political. Of course, Putin wants nothing to do with that. But then again, there's this whole situation of. Uh, but I, I can see I can see where you're coming from. You're but I, you know, I I'm not dismissing it though. Look, and especially if we're talking about fifty thousand people. Well, and, Chuck, uh, which fifty thousand are they? They're fifty thousand. Uh, fifty fifty. 50,000 uh, Russian right. but where combatant they from? Pri- where prisoners from? of war. Well, oh, unfortunately, yes. they're from the Far East right now, yeah. and nobody cares. Nobody cares. That's the problem, right? Right. They don't care. Right. They, 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 I mean, if anything, it's uh, as, as Stalin did kill people who we thought might be a threat to him, a bunch of pissed off ethnic minority Russians who realize they've been lambs led to the slaughter. It might actually be beneficial for him not to get them back. Yeah. The other thing, you know, there's two things we the, the Ukrainians need need the world to know that they've captured these people, and imperatively that they're treating them well. Hundred percent. Yeah, they need to. The world knows that the Ukrainian. I mean, if they didn't know before, they know now. The Ukraine, the Red Cross, the Ukrainians are more than happy to bring the Red Cross in, show them what they're doing. The whole world sees. Um, all right, last and very last last question. Washer has been trying to speak for a bit. Washer, make it a good one because Chuck's got a previous engagement. Uh, well, sorry. I uh, hope it's good. Uh, I was lucky enough to visit Crimea 20 years ago, and I, I do think like the terrain geographically. I mean, it's very like mountainous. It's this peninsula. It is a tough area to attack in my mind compared to the Donbass. So I think I just sort of agree that you'd have to take Donbass and then try with the long range missiles and things like that to then. Uh, potentially take Crimea. Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, and again, if you could uh, look, why are the Russians in Crimea, right? Because uh, with that naval base, they can dominate the Black Sea. So if there comes a time where, I don't know, 60 HIMARS striking into the Sevastopol Harbor, it's going to be an air defense challenge for the for the Russians and a, and a, and a great symbolic victory, but also you know, losing their naval base there, uh, that's the whole reason they've got that island, right? So again, these are things that, you know, again, Putin is not going to quit, but we, we need to make his efforts increasingly futile and make sure that the people around him realize that, uh, you know, he, he he doesn't have a winning equation. It's bedtime for Bonzo, is it not? Might you say? Yeah, I'm afraid it is bedtime for Bonzo. Or as we say, pull altitude, because... Uh, you don't want you don't want to go in without your parachute actuated. So, well, I want to tell you something, Chuck. Because of you, obviously, I'm pretty sure it's not me. We are Twitter Spaces, uh, top ranking space in the entire planet Earth. So, that well, means... that's your hard work, Yehuda. I'm not going to listen to you blow sunshine no, 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 else no. here, it's, because it's, it's a... your it's your hard work, sir. I appreciate it. It's 200 million real people and 800 billion fake people on Twitter. That's why Elon didn't buy it, apparently, by the bots. But uh, either way, uh, that's awesome. Um, we uh, we jumped up. Uh, we had uh, like 560, which is interesting. Uh, pretty good. And again, <clears throat> everyone's interested in hearing your super cool analysis. And, and frankly, uh, there are very few people that have the ability to to uh, discuss some of the topics we have with the panache that you do. And uh, honestly, I think everyone on the speakers panel and even the hundreds of people listening here, we've had 10,000 listening today. Um, It's like a little radio station and we do it to help and support Ukraine. We do it to let people know that we're we're speaking truth to power. 
we have real facts, real numbers, uh, and real analysts and experts that help us figure out what those numbers mean. Um, and that is uh, in no small part due to Chuck Fair. So please give Chuck a like, say hello, reach out to him, superstar. Um, it's our pleasure. I know he has to go. And I hate to say this because I know we're, we're flying through the numbers here and people want to hear us chit-chat with Chuck. Uh, I'm getting messages. I love Chuck. He is dreamy. Not in a creepy way, though. Please, <laughs> please don't block me. Someone actually wrote that. Um, I blocked them. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Uh, Chuck, <clears throat> uh, till we meet again, perhaps. Thank you, Yehuda. It's great talking to you. Thank you, everybody, for really great, great questions and uh, questions that answer themselves, which I really like because it really pointed out some, uh, you know, very informed questions and, and people who've come to some good conclusions. And I, I enjoy listening to you. So thanks, Yehuda, for the opportunity. I'll see uh, you again soon, I think. Uh, sounds great. Well, listen, everyone, if you could like and retweet and let everyone know that Chuck's talking to us, even though he's going to bed, we're going to try to trick the internet. Uh, no, don't do that. Uh, it was a great conversation. It'll be available on our YouTube channel to talk, uh, uh, you know, when, when we when we parse out the details of what's going on. Perhaps it'll be a PBS documentary in five years. Um, the day Chuck Ferrer um, led Twitter spaces into uh, history. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're the, you're doing the work, Yehuda. Good, uh, good night, everybody. Thank you so much. Good night, sir. Have Thanks a lot. Have a good night, Chuck. Good night, buddy. Um, so for uh, everyone else, because it is a madhouse, we do have a lot of people coming up trying to speak. Uh, we are having uh, normal Twitter glitches. It happens. It doesn't mean we don't want to talk to you. <clears throat> it means I don't want to talk to you. No, it means that Twitter is playing around. So please do come up and uh, have your words with our uh, amazing panel. We've got Mark just joining us. Mark, uh, Joseph, uh, our great moderator, uh, Thomas, and it's his real name, uh, weird. Um, and he doesn't care if he gets doxxed because he's like, I'm here, dox me. That's um, right. <laughs> so Actually, you know, you know, several Russian trolls have said, like, Joseph Thomason, as if that's your real name. Like, And they've never bothered to, like, check it. It totally is, yeah. You can look me up on Rate My Professor, uh, difficulty four. Uh, or wait, uh, it was four out of five, difficulty three. Uh, so that's pretty accurate. Go He's ahead. a difficult and good professor. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, go ahead. Thanks so much, Joseph. Uh, I will uh, drop down uh, shortly before I have to ask for the help of a divorce lawyer uh, from the audience. So I have to get going. Um, Joseph has it. You have the con. There's Mark. Elias is going to prison, apparently. Probably not a troll. Uh, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. May 2022. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, I'm assuming in this space, it's usually pro-Ukraine people, I'm guessing. I'm just, and which probably is made up of, you know, Republicans and Democrats. There's a lot of bipartisan support. And I'm just wondering... Uh, uh, just if there's, with regards to the whole Russian collusion thing, um, if there's a lot of heterogeneity, um, uh, you know, and opinions among the people in this space about, you know, uh, whether it was a hoax, whether it wasn't, and then basically what, if it if it, if it was a hoax, what it did to U.S.-Russia relations and diplomacy. I don't really know the answer to that. I think you, you're asking me Russian collusion with uh, Trump. Is that what you're saying? With President Trump? That's right. Oh, 
Yeah, no, we don't really get into those details here because we're kind of more focused on like a, a genocide, right? We're more interested in knowing how to fight and combat the genocide. And you've triggered a whole slew of people who'd like to talk to you, uh, Mark. Um, uh, I will say this, uh, uh, Russian misinformation has been prevalent for many, many years. It's been a, a feature of uh, Russian doctrine. Uh, it's not new. Um, do I believe that the Russians colluded with Trump? I, I don't know. I don't really care. I don't think it has much to do with the price of tea in China. I'm dating myself. That's an old expression. Uh, I was born in 1880. Um, no, I wasn't. Um, but um, Also I'm a bedtime for Bonzo reference, Yehuda. Bedtime for Bonzo. That would mean I'm a... I'm a 80s Republican, maybe, um, who worships uh, Ronald Reagan. I don't, uh, but he's, I like him. Uh, anyway, my point is, um, I'm not sure if it's germane to the conversation. Personally, uh, do I believe that Russia is trying to influence American politics? Absolutely. Do I think that Trump is an FSB plant? No, because that's probably a little silly. Um, and that I don't want to get further into what I personally think of the, I think, the 45th president of the United States. Um, but I'm, I'm happy he's the 45th and not the, uh, well, yeah, anyway, we'll leave it at that. Gurney wants to go and then Trump. Uh, no, Yehuda, I just wanted to ask you a question, Yehuda. If there was some random coincidence of the stars that we're getting um, a lot of unique questions tonight. Um, unique outside of the Ukraine perspective. Is it just you? You're up here, um, Yehuda. Are you? Is it the, the moon and the stars or something yeah. else on the on the ground happening yeah. tonight? I heard there were some blood libel conversations going on earlier. Is that true? <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I heard that one. <laughs> yeah, someone someone wrote it in the chat. I couldn't be on because I was busy draining a gentile baby for blood for next year's. Do- Doctor Ford mentioned the word blood libel, but I think she's using it in a different, like traditional society. Con- it was like sort of like honor. She was mentioning in the realm of like honor killings. I think I don't know if she used the term correctly in that yeah, sense, but you did say blood libel. You're actually right about that. Uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Anyways, I was trying to make a joke, uh, a trope, but you interrupted me and no one heard it. Anyway, so Mark, I don't know if that answers your question. I don't think, I think if you'll notice that most people that are here don't really care about um, um, that aspect of it. We're really more centered on uh, providing, you know, Ukrainian voices, um, American, Canadian like observers, people who are there on the ground, seeing what the Russians are doing, war crimes investigators, and journalists who have found dead bodies. Um, we're, we're more interested in, in bringing, in a way we become a news channel where we provide um, actual concrete information, evidence of what's going on. And then we invite all sorts of really educated and experienced um, uh scholars uh, military people from left and right i mean there are people who are uh you know democrats republicans you know far more right far more left than others and what we do is we ask them to explain the data in their words and everyone can kind of make the decisions they want to so uh, all jokes aside um that's what we do here um and i hope that helps explain it and uh if there's no follow-up mark i'm going to go over to troy Hey, thanks, Yehuda. Um, I just looked it up. I think it's been about 137 days since the most recent invasion and war and genocide against Ukraine. And uh, I guess the only contribution I have uh, to Mark's question 
as an American, would I don't think there was a lot of people who were thinking about Russia uh, in America before 2014, you know, 2016. And I think that has an effect. But in my experience, like, I think we had discussions, like robust discussions, and even maybe a little heated um, earlier in our in the in the conflict in the war. But since then, we've kind of realized, like, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about it. It's immaterial. Like, you could put it in a box and and think of it as, yes, it they did collude and it was effective or no, it, they didn't and it wasn't. And the bottom line is, like, we're all here for the same reason because of, you know, the the invasion and the genocide. So that's uh, that's just what I've seen from my perspective. I, I, I understand what you're saying and, and see how that could be a curiosity, but it's kind of been kind of been you know litigated and put to rest and on that note troy i'm going to pass off the baton to joseph thank you so much everyone for joining us on wolf report tonight it is uh the 11th of july uh yeah, from canada toronto canada 10 45 p.m thank you so much for joining us and i leave you to our uh incredibly um astute and capable co-hosts joseph and uh, Gurney and John Ridge coming up. And uh, be well, be safe, and we'll speak to you tomorrow. We'll discuss what's going on, how many new HIMARS strikes have blown up Russian dumps. Uh, pay attention because it looks as though Russians have launched, as of about 28 minutes ago, a nationwide uh, strike on Ukrainian targets. Um, they've uh, probably centered it on every daycare and uh, children's hospital or something this time uh who knows we'll find out tomorrow um but the reality is there are there's a, a red alert from ministry of defense in ukraine the russians are still able to fire and they haven't had all of their artillery uh, depleted you have to remember that they've been launching sixty thousand to hundred thousand artillery uh, and other related munitions at ukrainian positions every day some days up to a quarter of a million uh, so they do still have stuff they just don't have a lot of stuff left they can't do this continuously for another month for example so they are unfortunately you know all jokes aside um there could be children and and men and women and civilians who have been murdered as we've been speaking uh, and that's why we constantly want to speak about russian atrocity russian genocide um it's not going away uh, us sharing this information here is just our very small and meager part. It's the, it's the, it's the, unfortunately it's the best we can do to help a sovereign nation trying to defend itself, trying to maintain its territorial integrity and sovereignty, and trying to protect its youth and its children. So once again, thank you for listening, and uh, I am signing off. Cheers. Okay, you to go to bed and oil that door. Okay, I'm. We're going to switch over some uh, some hosts here. So bear with me. Give it, John. Or Gurney. Well, I was or going to give you. Yeah, I was going to give you finance. Joseph, I was just going to. Oh, say we can give finance. Now. Yeah. If you say me. Oh, sorry. We're we're switching co-hosts right now, Prince. Uh, actually, yeah. Uh, if, if yeah, you can go ahead. I think we're we can do that in the background. Go ahead. Yeah, I think John is coming up. Is he? No finance. I was just going to make a brief announcement that we're going to have a military update in about an hour. Please, whoever is in the host account, do not co-host me. My connection is incredibly unstable. Okay, I was just, I was just hoping that we could get a, uh, a things that go bang analysis from John and maybe Portland tonight, because 
that one is really fun. And I would love to hear what Portland and John have to say about it. And uh, that was that was all. I was wondering if we could get that going somehow tonight. It's true. John and Portland are a good team when stuff blows up in Russian territory. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Unfortunately, it's oh, dark, stupid where Portland is right now. Oh, you're full of crap. Portland lives in the same city I do. It's 7.30 in the evening. 7.49. And Battlemos uses the Walter Report prerogative. We don't know when he's here and when he's not. He's just gone now. Like, like, Mr. like Mr. Snuffleupagus. It's not even 8 o'clock here yet. Well, thank you, Prince. Uh, yeah, hopefully we will get uh, a Portland update soon. Uh, John, hopefully his connection stables out and uh, we'll, we'll get him uh, able to contribute a little more. Uh, ben, go ahead. Well, still not Ben, but Ben's in the background here. Still here. We have very, very important question. Uh, looking for suggestions on where to take a grade, just finished grade 10 Ukrainian refugee who took a month to escape from Crimea because we're going to be driving him up to renew his passport in New, in New York City. So if you were of his age, what would you want to do with a bunch of old adults? And his mom. And his mom in New York City. So we'll go. We'll drop down, but we're looking for suggestions. Oh, and he's Man, a man. he's a science geek and a cello player, and he seems he's 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 the kid who wears a bow tie, so he's that kind of cool. When I was a lad, I went to Grant's tomb. My dad was like, "You what? That's what you did when you went to <laughs> no, um, uh, Metropolitan Museum." Of course, is is awesome. Uh, I'm trying to think of other stuff. Prince, uh, have you visited New York? Do you have any suggestions? No, but. Uh, the Museum of Art was was what immediately came to my mind. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Metropolitan Museum of Art's really impressive. Uh, there's so much stuff there. Uh, you can really uh, like just from every, every era of history, every place like uh, imaginable. Uh, it's absolutely huge, uh, fascinating stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of other stuff uh, I visited in New York. I visited New York around that age, so I'm trying to think like what did I do when I was there? But I don't know. I rode the subway, I went to Grant's tomb, I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, I went to the like 9-11 stuff. Um, at the time, there wasn't like the museum and stuff built yet, but I went on the tour and things. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's a good question. There's got to be some science stuff there. Science yeah, You need to take him to the Museum of Natural Science and let him meet Neil deGrasse Tyson. John's hopping up. Gurney, go ahead. Yeah, there's... Um... There's also, if he's a sort of a science geek, there's also the uh, the name of it's passing me now. It's the uh, Aircraft Carrier Museum. It's uh, on the on the west side, uh, about somewhere I think around 60th or uh, by the Javits Convention Center, somewhere give or take around there. The is it the Independence? Uh, I forget that, but it's uh, basically like an air and space type museum on the uh, on the deck of a decommissioned aircraft carrier. I think the Intrepid, Gurney. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what it is. USS Intrepid. Yeah. Is that the one with the SR-71 on the deck? Yeah, I think they had an SR-71 on the deck or still do. I mean, I think they rotate the, the, the planes and stuff, the displays that they have, because they also have some, some Soviet aircraft up there, you know, some space era, uh, space flight era aircraft up there as well. Yeah, but if any uh, listeners are from New York, uh, have any suggestions or from that area, uh, please uh, feel free to come on up and uh, give your suggestion. We always would want to... Joseph, Michael, uh, yep. I got a couple suggestions. So, um, the uh, muse- you know Natural History Museum. Of course, if you've seen the uh, you know Night of Museum movies, you might know those. Um, that that's a good place. That's a good safe place. 
There's also another place that uh, I've been to that's pretty neat. Um, I don't know if anybody's heard about it. It's called the Art Tech House. They have one in uh, uh, Washington. They have one in Miami as well. But uh, it's really nice um, kind of where art and technology come together. It's uh, definitely worth uh, an hour of time to, to go and visit as well. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully that, those are some helpful suggestions. Uh, Mrs. Ben, I'll call you. Uh, and uh, with that, we can go to uh, Gail. If anyone else has any suggestions, so feel free to come up. Uh, Joseph, Jeremy, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think Christopher's trying to get up here. I think uh, Christopher in his profile says he's a New York native here, so maybe he can offer something real quick. Got it. I think there's a bit of lag on mine, so uh, if you can let him up, Gurney, go ahead. I'm a New Yorker, too. Shall I go? Uh, sure, go ahead, Jim. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, New York. I'm so psyched he's coming. Uh, I would suggest, like, if you felt like it, we have a huge Ukrainian community, and a really great place to go for lunch or dinner or brunch or breakfast would be a place called Veselka, which is in the East Village on 2nd Avenue and 9th Street. And I, I just think he might enjoy that because he would see a bunch of Ukrainians, including most of the wait staff, and it would be fun for him. Another fun place, the Intrepid would be awesome. And the Natural History Museum, amazing. The Met is amazing. Um, but also there's there's a cool thing that you guys could do if it's a beautiful day. Uh, they have these beautiful old um, sailing ships and you can take like a sunset trip on these sailing ships and it's really beautiful. They're uh, clipper ships. So if you looked up clipper ships in NYC, I know it sounds like it would be maybe more like of an adult thing or um, something like that, but it actually is really cool. They get the they get everybody to try to help like uh, pull in the sails with these giant ropes. And so kids really enjoy it. I brought my nieces on there. Um, the other thing would be maybe to go to the top of the Empire State Building or the top of the um, Freedom Tower. And Central Park is always awesome if it's a beautiful day. Uh, so try to like plan on maybe if you go to the Met and Natural History Museum to walk through the park on the way there, because there's always people out making music and like talk about cello players. Like the other day I was there and there were two violinists from Juilliard who were just making extra money. That happens all the time. So go to go to these public places like Union Square and Central Park where you can just see um, people making music in public. Um, those are my suggestions. Thank you, Gail. And uh, Mrs. Spence, follow up? Yes. Oh, Got to hit the right button here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Juilliard, thanks for the reminder. He, that, he might find that fascinating. Um, I forgot to mention he's into marine biology because I think they're from um, uh, Sebastopol, I believe. So, and they had a ridiculous situation. It took them a month to get out. They had to go through Russia, I think, into Finland hit over to like Paris, bounced to like Amsterdam, Mexico. And then I don't know if they went to Canada to get down here, but they've been here for like four months helping pack first aid to Ukraine um, most nights of the week. And yeah, he just fi finished a uh, grade 10 and his English is doing, he's definitely improving, but he's a smart kid, but he, uh, he did mention Staten Island. So I think he likes water and probably boats Oh, and he, he was like me. He loved sticking his head out of the, uh, we've got one of these sunroof, moonroof type things. And he, like me, is like a dog, likes to stick his head out the window. So he was having fun with that. So I think something on open water would probably be good. Yeah, thanks for all the suggestions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, Ben, sorry, I, I'm not, I didn't catch the name of the, of the, the other half there. Um, that Intrepid Museum is actually, so it's on the water. It's, it's afloat. The ship, the aircraft carrier is afloat, and you get great views of uh, 
of the the piers over there and looking out but uh and, and there's different port openings you go up and down the deck you go inside and out of it there's different openings where you can see different uh different vessels and there's a submarine docked uh, next to it thank you and uh, maybe we can go back to gail gail do you have anything you want to add there yeah i just wanted to mention that um staten island i hope no one is from staten island on this shot but um it's a little bit boring <laughs> there's not that much to do there uh you could take the Staten island ferry though there and back and that is free so that's like what i always did in my 20s whenever someone would visit if they didn't have money i would take them on the Staten island ferry and i know i didn't have money so that was handy um but uh like there are tons of ferries now after 9 11 they put in so many ferries um sorry not 9 11 after sandy because all the subways were flooded so there are you can get around all over the place with ferries and it's really fun. Um, you can also um, go to uh, the, if you went to the 9-11 Memorial, there's a little Irish Memorial, Irish Hunger Memorial that is really beautiful. It's very tiny. It doesn't take long to go through right next to there on the water. So you can see the water. And then right there at the um, World Financial Center, there's this dock that has all the like big, beautiful, like super, uh, like big yachts and the clipper ships sit there too. So if he likes ships, he likes water, that's a great place to go. And there's all these little places where you can grab a bite to eat and you can sit outside and look at the ships and the water. It's a beautiful place to watch the sunset too. So I, I often try to bring people there for that. Um, that and the, and the boat basin on 69th Street, that's another place where there are a lot of boats and there's a restaurant you can eat there. It's a really beautiful um, waterway along there. Uh, but I would suggest like those more than Staten Island. <laughs> okay, thanks. Oh, if you want to DM me and you want to get in touch or want to have somebody that you know in New York City, I'm totally happy to like uh, meet you guys, take you somewhere or um, tell you more stuff. My my boyfriend is um, half Ukrainian, half Russian, and he teaches math. And uh, maybe he could meet up with us, too. Um, he has been so impressed by the math in the Ukrainian kids. He started tutoring some for free when the war started to help out. And um, he was just like blown away by their math. <laughs> he just thinks it's like the hardest math in the world. <laughs> so anyway, uh, maybe they could do math together while looking at books. Thank you. Uh, maybe uh, let's go to Christopher. Let's try to get through some hands. Christopher, go ahead. Hey, uh, mic check real quick. All clear, go ahead. All right, cool. Uh, from um, from New York City, greetings. Um, everything that's been said have been really great suggestions. Um, I would suggest a couple of things. I would suggest Governor's Island um, if he's interested in marine uh, marine biology and marine stuff. Um, it's a quick little ferry ride over. Uh, it's really a great experience. Um, check out what they're planning. The other thing is if you're interested in the Schooner Pioneer, which is part of the South Street Seaport Museum, that will, that's not a very big museum. It won't take you very long to go through, but that's what another person was discussing in terms of um, a clipper ship and rigging in the sales, uh, feel free to DM me. Um, my, my friend, very good friend is one of the captains on that boat. So, um, let me know. Um, and if you haven't seen things like grand central, it's really beautiful. Grand central terminal that is, um, and, uh, the Rose center for earth and space over at the American museum of natural history is, is really cool. So those are some suggestions. Feel free to DM me. I live here in the city. I've been working in the city. I've been here for almost 25 years so happy to help out thank you very much christopher and uh let's go to liberal liberal go ahead uh whoops well liberals connecting there i think carol had a follow-up for new york as well i remember there were a couple 
requests I pulled up from the New York crowd. I just wanted to make sure they could all um, speak to it before we lose Ben and, and whomever else there. Absolutely. Thank you, Gurney. Uh, Carol, go ahead. Oh, I think we lost Carol, too. Uh, maybe while we're getting Carol back, we can go to Liberal. Liberal? Maybe we can go to Washer? Washer? Hi, yeah. I'm uh, from New York also. Uh, Metropolitan Museum, great idea. And actually, I encourage all of you to go right across from that on 79th Street and 5th Avenue is the uh, Ukrainian Institute of America. It's a 75-year-old institution in a beautiful Gothic uh, mansion that was created by a robber baron but turned into a Ukrainian institute um, 75 years ago. And it has a lot of art and history of Ukraine and really a, a beautiful uh, place to visit. Uh, that and the Ukrainian Museum, if you go to Veselka for lunch on on. 2nd Avenue and 9th Street. Uh, on 7th Street, there's the Ukrainian Museum, which is also a, a real cultural center. Thank you, Washburn. Maybe we have Carol back. Carol, go ahead. I'm back. Um, I'm also from New York. And one thing I thought about for uh, uh, this young gentleman is uh, the Lincoln, Lincoln Center. It's, uh, it's a beautiful place to visit. And they, if you can check beforehand, you might be able to catch some sort of a concert. And then sometimes there are also concerts outside. So it's a great place for someone who's interested in music. Thank you, ben, Carol, and thanks everyone. Yeah, Ben, no, hopefully you're recording this or taking notes here. You probably have to go back through the replay to maybe get some of these uh, wonderful suggestions for you. But uh, but that's fantastic. I'm glad we have a, we have a big crowd tonight, 450 listeners, um, and people are tuning in and people are listening. So I uh, appreciate the, all the content uh, subject matter experts like New York there. But uh, Ben, back to you for the, the New York conversation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we knew Staten Island was nothing mind-blowing, but yeah, like us, I think he's probably cheap and and, and uh, was there for the free ferry ride. But yeah, some of these other suggestions, and the other thing we need to do is look up and see what is in close proximity to the Ukrainian or general consulate, So, which is where he's got to be for nine in the morning. So maybe we, we may actually try and listen to you guys like four or five in the morning driving into New York City. Because he likes to practice his English, but his mom, I believe, only speaks uh, Russian and she's trying to learn English through Duolingo. But yeah, these are great suggestions. I'm frantically opening new tabs with each one, so we'll save them. I I dare say uh, uh, open like Google Maps and, uh, and, and start plotting this stuff out and keep in, keep in mind like the traffic as well. We normally, if we go there, we either take a bike and a unicycle. Um, and I know he's into bikes, but I don't know about mom. His his mom just likes to, our whole, we, we had been kind of chit-chatting for months and I had no idea they were refugees. And she was making jokes because she found out I was a rhythmic gymnast and said, ah, Putin and his oligarchs, they all like rhythmic gymnasts. So she was just joking around with me, but I had no idea their whole saga. I only found out like late. So she's she was just messing with me. But anyways, so we'll we'll head out Wednesday, and we don't even know how long it's going to take them because I'm sure there's you know a load of people trying to get their passports renewed. But he's very excited. So thank you guys. Any other questions, Ben? No, no. Thanks for the suggestions and offers to DM. But yeah, we'll try it. We'll see if uh, what's going on 4 a.m., if it's not too much war news or, or maybe people. He's, he seems interested to talk to people and tell them his, his story a little bit. 
So we'll see if we can call in. Yeah, that'd be great. A, uh, thank you very about, much, Ben and Mrs. Ben. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, he's about sixteen-ish. Yeah, so yeah, he was actually asking us about learning how to drive too. So, anyways, and yes, he's brilliant at math. Oh, sorry, that was the other thing. And you, I'm sure, if you looked at Ben, my Ben's profile, he's a math teacher. So we would be surrounded by too much math. While I'm thinking of it in the case in the uh, direction of Ukrainian national pride, this may have been mentioned on here before, but recently the highest honor for young mathematicians, the Fields Medal, was awarded to a new crop of four mathematicians. And uh, one of them is from Ukraine. And she also happens to be the second woman ever to win the award. And the only one currently alive, sadly. So it's really, really extremely rare. That's right. It was, uh, what, to to pack a balls most efficiently in an eight-dimensional container is that right something like that yeah yeah i think even more yeah that's exactly it yeah we talked about it <laughs> we, oh, we cover it <laughs> we must uh, have missed it so <laughs> cool okay ben was probably teaching and well, thanks very thank much guys we're always happy to hear from you okay thanks thanks everyone that's for all your suggestions that's pretty that's pretty wonder, wonderful uh, like uh that we've created a space where you know uh, somebody could turn around and say listen i got this young boy here from ukraine you know find me some stuff for him to do and you know this community steps up every single time and uh i like i rarely get uh, like Heimar explosions kind of get the hairs on my hand, on my arms going up but this this warms warms the heart and i just want to say Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for being there for each other. And Moose, you, I got to say, I got to say thank you to you for not saying cockles, because I thought you're going to say it warms my cockles. <laughs> that that usually is my go to. But uh, I, I will suspend it for the uh, for the seriousness that uh, that this uh, warrants. And uh, very quickly, I'm going to capitalize on that warm and fuzzy feeling everyone's feeling right now by doing our announcements. Uh, everyone, if you could please retweet the space. It really does help us out a lot. Uh, thanks so much for spreading the word about the Walter Report uh, to people who might not know about it. Uh, we want to get our message out there. We want to tell as many people as we can about what, what Russia is doing when uh, they invade and genocide Ukrainians. So uh, we definitely appreciate uh, everyone retweeting the space, uh, telling your friends about the Walter Report. It really does help us out. Uh, second, of course, uh, everyone at the Walter Report is a volunteer. Uh, people like Chuck, they come on, they volunteer their time, they volunteer their expertise. Uh, we've got a lot of guest speakers coming up this week. Uh, I'll do a little reminder pretty soon here. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into this. So uh, if you guys do want to support what we're doing here at the Walter Report, uh, all we ask is that you donate to Marie Aid. Uh, MarieAid.org is a charity organization that is run 100% by volunteers, just like the Walter Report. And that means that 100% of your donation goes directly to acquiring equipment like tourniquets, body armor, drones, thermals, night vision, uh, things that Ukrainian soldiers and civilians need on the ground right now. 100% of that donation goes directly to acquiring and sending that stuff to them. So uh, you can be very uh, assured that your donation will be put to good use. There's no overhead costs, no administrative fees. As we always say, there are no pizza parties. Uh, we just use the money for exactly what it's intended for. And we really appreciate you guys donating. Thank you so much to everyone who has donated. And thank you to anyone who donates in the future. We really, really do appreciate it. Um, and then, of course, last, we have a panel. Uh, we've got Gurney up here. we got John. Uh, we got me, I guess. we got Liberal. Uh, we got Ben, if you have a math question, I guess, if we make it about Ukraine. Uh, 
So if anyone does have a question for our panel, please feel free to come up, raise your hand, and uh, we'll do our best to answer your question about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Or uh, if it's a comment, please feel free to come up. Just keep it relevant. And uh, thank you very much, everyone. Back to you, Gern. Hey, yeah, thanks, Joseph. I think uh, we're getting John up here. Um, wonderful discussion there. Liberal, uh, I know we couldn't hear you for a second. Did you want to add on to that? <laughs> All right. Well, poor liberals having trouble there with his headsets tonight. Liberal, if you can hear us, uh, we, we can't hear you coming off mute or or you might not be hearing us there, buddy. Uh, but we got finance pulled up here and we got John. Uh, finance updates on the uh, on your front. And I know John is working towards a military update, so I might uh, save him save him some time here while he compiles that. Uh, Gurney, let me briefly clarify on that. I'm not working on a military update. Uh, language learner is. John, what's wrong with your connection? Why is, why are you coming up and down so much? I don't think it's my connection. My internet's like rock solid. Like my, it's actually like, my internet is almost always shockingly good. Um, I think it's Twitter. It's like, I'm just losing audio and I'm losing audio in a very weird way. Normally when I lose people's audio, what I can do to like verify that something is up is I can tap on somebody's profile and if I can send them a direct message, then you know, that indicates that everything is normal. If, if that option doesn't appear, that means my audio is, is, is like totally screwed up. Um, but like I'm losing audio and like I can still send people direct messages. So I don't know. It's some, some Twitter is failing in an abnormal way. Some fresh Twitter hell apparently. Uh, okay. Good to know. Finance. We see you joining us. Uh, welcome. Did you have uh, something you wanted to add right now? Uh, it seems that I've infected John, that the cough I have in the real world, I got from Twitter, uh, and that John has acquired um, my Twitter connection problems because his is failing the way mine normally fails. So uh, welcome to the club, John. Uh, it sucks. Anyways, uh, please don't catch my cough. It's thankfully not COVID. But I do, in fact, have a cough. I almost asked. I thought it'd be rude, though. It's almost like, finance, do you have COVID? <laughs> no, okay. no. I, I, I checked. You know, look, right now you get a cough. That's the, I have every vaccine they'll give me, but uh, I've, I've yet to catch it. I was like, oh, and I finally get it. Nope, nope. Still no Rona, but I have a terrible cough. All right. So, <clears throat> as I've discussed regularly in this space, um, the Russian bankruptcy was because the U.S. sanctioned the banks and when Russia sent their payments to their agent banks, who then disperses it to all the different bondholders of all these traded bonds, the bank, which was JP Morgan, said, Up, oh, sorry, we can't help you out because you're under sanctions for being genocidal jerks. So, voila, fast forward, Russia's forced into bankruptcy. After 30 days, they can't figure out a way around it because they're in. All right. <coughs> well, it turns out. Um, Belarus also looks like they're going to go into bankruptcy, but um, they're also under sanctions, but they're smaller. They're not technically in this war, sort of, kind of, maybe. Um, but they were having such major financial issues before the war that, like, if they had gone bankrupt this year, had Russia not decided to start a genocidal war, nobody would have blinked twice. So, quite frankly, that's almost less news than um, anything. What is news, though, is that the sanctions approach we took to Russia, we are also taking to Gazprom, except that unlike Russia, Gazprom is structured like a normal company and has assets outside of Russia that can now be seized by bondholders. And I have no idea how this is going to shake out in courts. Uh, and I kick it back to the hosts. Thank you, finance. So, yeah, um, 
you know, we're talking about Russian defaults uh, in terms of as finance laid out. Um, a lot of these defaults have mainly been because Russia doesn't have a mechanism to pay, not because they can't pay, but it's still significant for their long-term credit rating. Uh, and right. In, in this, case, in this, in this oh, case, it's it's their state-owned oil company, right? So when a company defaults, the bondholders, the people who they're supposed to pay, get the right to seize the stuff the company owns to get their money back. Usually it's secured, corporate loans are secured against the assets of a company, right? Some some loans are secured directly. There's all sorts of rules over who gets paid back first. But either way, <coughs> these loans, either way, the bondholders will now all be able to go after Gazprom assets that are outside of Russia. And yeah, maybe Gazprom be- has like real estate of an office or something. Oh, no, no, no. Gazprom has pipelines. They've got heavy oil machine they've got heavy expensive things that that work with the oil industry outside of russia that's now fair game for courts to try to work out that said a court's gonna have to weigh in and say hey look yeah we know you couldn't pay because you were under sanctions not because you didn't want but sorry you're actually owned by a bunch of genocidal douchebags and we're more than happy to steal all your assets um or we're more than happy to seize them via our normal legal mechanisms because you also did not pay your bondholders. Next time, don't be genocidal douchebags and you won't be under sanctions. That's one possibility. It's not the only one. This, I would love it if we had a lawyer on who could explain this better, who has some specialty in bankruptcy law. Because to me, this is Wild West-ish. Like, I have seen and dealt with distressed debt and, like, bankrupt debt before. But this is this is really something else. Definitely. But uh, thank you, finance. It's, it is, as you said, you know, we've, we've heard stories about Russia's uh, defaults before, but this one's significant for that reason, that there might be these really, uh, you know, significant assets that uh, Gazprom owns outside of the country that are in the purview of some of these other countries that could seize the assets. So it is a, a different kind of story. So we will keep track of it for you guys. And uh, if finance hears anything else about how it develops, I'm sure he'll let us know. Uh, so thank you very much, Finance. And uh, with that, we'll go to John while we still have him. John, go ahead. Uh, thank you. Well, it looks like we just lost Finance because I had two follow-up questions for him. Um, finance. He's you coming. Know, wonderful. Go ahead, Finance. Or actually, go ahead, John. Sorry. Uh, thank you, Joseph. So the two follow-ups for you, Finance, are, uh, one, are they in default now or are they still in the grace period? Has the default been uh, I believe they're in grace period. We, we, are, we are nearing the end of, of grace period issues. Um, or, yeah, so the news is starting to come out. They have not actually hit defaults yet but that is absolutely coming down the pike unless uh, you know unless out of the brew russia is about to start marching back to russia where they belong and leave ukraine which no one's expecting to happen that we'd all love it uh yeah this is this is coming down the pike but we're not there yet. all right uh speaking of pipes uh that gets to my second follow-up um if if courts in whatever jurisdiction start um allowing the um uh seizure of assets uh, uh to go forward um and let's say one of these pipelines gets seized you know what's going to be the net effect of that on um uh, natural gas uh, trend, uh inputs to uh europe like you know is nord stream one on the risk is, is nord stream one on the chopping block for seizure right now if they, if they, if they go into actual default i mean it's all up in the air and the problem here with this kind of scenario, right, is there's going to be a lot of international business law is always kind of gray area because everyone plays a little differently, even when people aren't trying to act in bad faith. Um, 
but you also have the problem of sure the pipeline might be able to be transferred in ownership but um if russia says well we're just not going to send you gas down the pipeline if we're not allowed to own it then you know welcome welcome to a, a, a problem that goes a little bit beyond standard corporate situations so that's the kind of situation where we're at now and then a follow-up before you drop uh, uh the uh the only other follow-up i had to that was does this have any implications for the uh the uh the holding companies of uh gazprom uh, because I believe the the largest holding company for Gazprom is Rosneft Gaz, which is a, acts a holding company for both Gazprom and Rosneft. And Interrail, I believe, it's owned by the it's directly owned by the Russian government through their uh, state property management agency. I think as of uh, a couple years ago, as of 2014, they owned at least a, about 11 percent stake in Gazprom and about a 26 percent stake. And Interal, and then they own a controlling stake in Rosneft. Um, so, any impact on these major like holding companies that the Russian government uses to exercise control over these state corporations? Um, I don't. So, again, there's two different questions here, right? One, can we force them into default on debt they owe the West? The answer is yes. But two, is that going to change ownership structures within Russia? The answer is really clearly no. Because the Russians right now are just going to not care about what happens in non-Russian courts insofar as they can avoid it, use the middle finger, or try to use power plays to maintain control of assets and their company. And obviously, anything that is not, uh, anything that is inside the Russian Federation or a uh, more closely allied or friendly nation to the Russian Federation is not up for grabs and we will not have... uh, access to. I think Madi would be very interesting to ask here, and Dr. Paul probably has some good follow-up. Madi, Madi, go ahead. Hey, guys. Oh, right. um, so, actually, it's an unrelated question here. Yeah, why don't we have Madi finish Let's up on this Madi. topic? I bet Madi's on, on yeah. point, and we're happy to answer your question after that, Paul. I actually had a question for finance because he brought up uh, Russia now being pushed into def- default, and uh, some of the Western countries uh, possibly seizing some of the assets belonging, potentially uh, having an avenue to seize some of the assets belonging to Gazprom. I actually started thinking of the foreign currency reserves uh, that are, the Russians are claiming that they're, uh, about half of those are stored abroad, uh, but in the Western press, it's, it's kind of reported as if they're, the Russian Federation is, is unable to access those. If they're kept abroad, does it mean that the West could, uh, the Western companies and the Western uh, uh, creditors could actually seize those instead because those uh, national, uh, for, sorry, foreign currency reserves actually belong to the Russian state. Um, except in situations of terror attacks for state sponsors of terror, usually diplomatic immunity applies to this kind of thing for central bank assets. I say usually. Um, again, international law gets to be kind of wild westish, but that said, um, people who sued the Taliban for um, their part in supporting Al Qaeda for the 9/11 terror attacks were able to recover a massive amount of funds, small, from the uh, former Afghani Central Bank because when the Taliban took over Afghanistan, they then owned the central bank, so that was their money. Well, there was a settlement in the U.S., they're a terror group, 
sorry, we now pierce your normal international diplomatic immunity kind of stuff. I think we lost finance. Mic check. Is it me? No, no, sorry. No, okay, I, can't, okay. I can't hear you. Okay, I think we lost finance. We'll get finance back up. Uh, we'll get John back up. Uh, we'll get Dr. Paul back up, I think. Sorry, finance. Uh, we lost you. Not, not, you didn't, we didn't lose much from you. Uh, you were talking, what was the very last thing you, he was talking about, Granny? Do you remember? The finance, we lost you when you said uh, the wild, wild west of international law. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think, I think he's still. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. When we lost finance, I assumed it was me, and so I just instinctively dropped myself back down the listener. <laughs> John, yeah, it's man. I think it, you're right. It is Twitter. It's just being really unstable. Um, okay, finance coming back up. Where do you lose me? Wild West of finance. Oh God, just drop me down immediately when it's quiet. Like I'm just, I quit. Anyways, um, so yeah, this stuff can be seen. They have 240 billion dollars outside of Russia. Um, that's frozen in mostly the u.s also the uk and other countries medium-sized nation assets everywhere because they trade everywhere but the u.s the uk are the two biggest holders especially the u.s that would be really useful um you need to be a state sponsor of terror for normal lawsuits to be able to go after a government's central bank assets that said that's in the books but there's other ways that they could go after the assets because they're in the middle of a genocide of war where we could just decide to seize them and say hand them to the ukrainian government that might be a better solution than this whole argument going on in the Eurozone right now. Um, but absolutely, those are the kinds of things we should be discussing. Any fault there? No, no. That's it. Thanks, guys. And uh, I think Dr. Paul had a question, but we lost him. So, uh, John, did you have any uh, follow-up to your question of finance earlier? I think you got everything through, right? I'm, I'm forgetting now. Everyone's dropping all the time. Um, can you all hear me? Yep. Okay, wonderful. I don't think I have any follow-up beyond that. I mean, I, I kind of get the sense that this is just kind of a big unknown question mark at this point. Obviously, my main interest is, excuse me, the my cat is just... Your cat has a follow-up, John. <laughs> yes, I think she does. Um, it, it's weird. When I when I let her into the room I'm in, she just sits here and cries. When I kick her out, she just sits outside the door and cries. It's, it's a catch-22. Um, anyways, my, my, my general... Co- I, what I'm just curious is what's going to be the overall net impact of this in terms of the, the situation on the ground, you know, as it relates to both Russia itself and in terms of, you know, gas supplies to European countries. That's my, my overriding concern that, or interest, I should say. I don't know how much uh, speculation you want to do, finance. If, if this uh, went I maybe the way I you don't. broadly think I, it, I don't. You know? too, too many. There's too many variables, too many people making power plays. Too many variables, John. Well, uh, so we do have a good panel. We got It seems like a finance-oriented panel. Maybe you can ask a rocket question if John can uh, stay up here for, for more than five minutes. Uh, so if anyone does want to come on up and uh, raise your hand to ask a question about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, we would appreciate it. It's always good to have uh, some input from our viewers about things you guys uh, want to know more about so that we can uh, tailor our news coverage to your interests. Uh, we do appreciate it. So please feel free to come up. Uh, Maddie, I don't know. Do you want to just maybe talk a little bit about Gazprom, like as a tool of Russian influence, uh, uh, in, uh, I, specifically the near abroad, but uh, maybe Europe as well? Uh, sure. I, I'm pretty sure everyone is quite aware of what the company is. Um, it's uh, one of the major, well, it is the major natural gas company in Russia. Uh, they do have, other smaller companies that uh, produce and uh, ultimately transport oil through Gazprom within and get, and natural gas within Russia, but they're much smaller. Uh, Gazprom's 
obviously a tool that was used by the Russian state for the past few years, well, over a decade now, uh, to grow uh, Europe's energy dependence on Russia. Um, I don't want to speculate in terms of kind of what kind of deals they've done on, under the table because we're not going to know until the current regime falls. Maybe later we'll do we'll find out. But we, what we do know is that their um, energy sales expanded uh, significantly ever since at the start of Putin's uh, presidency. Uh, that really uh, helps out to increase his own reputation within the Russian Federation domestically because the standards of living increased as compared to the 90s, especially uh, in the period between 2000 and 2014. Uh, after 2014, there's been a, a significant decrease um, in the GDP per capita or disposable income per, per capita uh, within the Russian Federation because of the first sanctions and a significant first round of sanctions and a significant change in the exchange rate uh, as, uh, of the ruble uh, versus the United States dollar and the euro. Uh, but it didn't really change much in terms of the public support to the governments. Uh, well, it had no pretty much no negative impact because the annexation of Crimea just erased all of that. Um, so yeah, moving back to Gazprom, it seems like they they have a lot of political influence when it comes to, well, at least until February 24th, they had a lot of political influence um, in Europe. Uh, they had a lot of representatives and former government officials from um, uh, the European Union working for the company, uh, some from Finland, some from Austria, famously Gerhard Schroeder, uh, the former German chancellor. Uh, fun fact, he was celebrating his 70th anniversary along with Putin uh, in St. Petersburg uh, as the annexation of Crimea was happening. So uh, the two were spending time together uh, as the events were unfolding in 2014. Um, you've probably seen recently in the news that he doesn't do mea culpa, so he's, uh, he doesn't feel sorry. Uh, so that's fine, I guess. Um, but yeah, so overall, I don't want to speculate too much. Uh, it's been used as a political tool to expand Russia's influence um, in the in the West, uh, specifically the uh, the European Union. Um, some of the interests that the company has um, are were protected by the Russian state on multiple occasions. Um, well, at least on one occasion militarily, specifically in Georgia. Um, then. So there were some speculations that the initial stage of the Russian invasion in 2014 in Donbass was initiated, uh, not because of the imperial ambitions. Um, of course, now we see that it's uh, it's imperial ambitions. But back in 2014, there were some suggestions indicating that the Russians were doing it because of the new uh, gas fields that were discovered in Donbass. So they don't want uh, the Ukrainians to take advantage of, of those uh, newly discovered gas fields and decrease years depends on Russia. Uh, there were multiple, there are multiple gas pipelines that are going through Russia into Europe. Uh, we've got uh, the Nord Stream 1, we've got Nord Stream 2 that got shuttered. Uh, we've got uh, Yamal uh, Europe that is going through Belarus into Poland. And we've got a pipeline going through or actually a small network of pipelines going through Ukraine. Interestingly enough, uh, 